Well, g'day there and welcome to the Oak City Church podcast. We are so glad that you've joined us today for another encouraging message from our Sunday gatherings of Oak City Church. If we can connect with you in any way, please see us at oakcitychurch.com.au or check out our socials online. We hope to see you in person soon.
Father, some of us may be coming here after a big week, um, you know, with a whole bunch of questions. Some of us may be really eager to hear you. Father, I just pray for open hearts right now. That for each and every one of us, no matter where we've come from, I love that you as our Father. Don't ask us to leave that people, but actually to bring you. And so I just want to, yeah, as we start, just be honest with where we're at. Even just give a moment of silence to say, Lord, I'm just present to you. Amen. Hey, um, as we kicked off both back in our Vision Sunday last year, but also as Tim brought us a word via video last week, our year has been spent bathing in this idea of practicing the way. And this scripture that we've just heard um, from Haley this morning, she brought us um, Jesus' words. Um, firstly, it, it's an invitation. These words that we've read as Jesus engaged with his disciples 2,000 years ago were an invitation to a bunch of ragtag people to firstly consider what it means to give up their own way. To actually go, there's an alternative way. And Jesus was offering this invitation to this group. And of course, that invitation has its stopped for 2,000 years. Um, no matter where they may have come from, some of them were very rough. Some of them had been close, I guess, uh, the, the teachings of the Pharisees in that day. But first and foremost, it was an invitation into a process. An invitation into... Um, but becoming, you know, a, a trainee, a disciple, an apprentice of Jesus, where he is the master and we are the students. That's literally what being a disciple means. The word that is in the original Greek is "mathes," which literally means a learner, one who is learning the ways of Jesus. So even as we start this kind of year together in this kind of um, theme, uh, firstly, the, the, the thing that we face is that we need to have a posture of teachability. Now, sometimes, um, and, and I'll just kind of uh, confess my own sins, being one who's been in church for 10, 15 years, sometimes we can bring you up, oh, actually, I think I remember this stuff. <laughs> so, like, I've heard it before, I've been in church since whenever that's been for you, whether that's one year, whether that's 50 years, some of us can bring this out, oh, I've already heard this, I've already heard this. But actually, it's a constant invitation into ways of teaching. A posture of teaching where you say, Lord, I want to learn from you. How do I go about having my life shaped by you and also do the things that you do? Um, now many of you guys know that I am not much of a handyman. Okay? I do try. Yesterday I put together my second IKEA bed in like months. So I have the time, guys. Like I am getting good with that IKEA group. But I'm definitely not the most handy guy. And in fact, the only time where I, you know, I, I when I first left high school, I did a bit of labouring and stuff like that. But the only time where I actually worked on a, a, a job site was just before Jess and I got married. My now brother-in-law, um, who is a pastor now, but he's also a, a carpenter by qualification. Um, before we got married, we were dirt poor. Like, dirt poor. Like, we're probably not responsible in, in 
getting married because we had no money. We were young and loved, it was great. But um, so leading into getting married, my brother-in-law could see just how dirt he was. I don't know what was giving off that direction. Um, but he said, hey, you want to come and work on, on the job site with me for a day? And as a carpenter, he was really just getting the head off with some, some A-frames and doing some tri Oops, Greek. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but pretty much all he taught me to do, and, and it was by demonstration, by repetition, and then showing that I understood what I was doing. And so I actually had to get into a borderline boring state. Drill. Configure. <laughs> Confusion. <laughs> <laughs> but by the end of the day, I worked out how to do it. Now, if you ask me now, 10 years on, but there is something in that apprenticeship model that Jesus offers to us. He says, come and learn my ways. Um, one of the ways that I've heard it described was always a little bit like this in the argument in the karate kid. Wax on, wax off. As we, as we spend time with Jesus and he shows us what it means to live in the kingdom, that is something that we're not just supposed to forget about, but go on doing and also be able to offer it to other people around us. And so that's why as we um, share last year, we're spending this year looking at the words and the works and the ways of Jesus. Now I'm going to suggest if you've been in church for any kind of short amount of time, you're pretty well versed on the words and the words. You've heard plenty of Bible studies, probably recited like the Bible verses. You can tell some stories about Jesus from Sunday school where he healed people in doing um, amazing works, but when it actually comes to replicating his ways, it's very, very different. And as we look at the way that he spent his time and the way that he invested himself into other people and that he was being the good news to other people. And I'm sure you've all heard the cliche, just because we gather together as a church, God's people together, it's kind of like that old cliche, just because you go to McDonald's does not make you want a McDonald's. Now, when we gather together as God's church, it's actually quite different to be a disciple of Jesus. It is deeply intentional. It's not just an accident. It's not a decision that you made 10 years ago. It's actually an ongoing process for the sake of other people. And so when we've been talking about what we've been spending our time on this year, We've kind of looked at it like this, two sides of the coin. Firstly, formational discipleship. How is our life being more and more formed into the individual? And we do that in community. We do that by practicing spiritual disciplines. Um, we do that with prayer and intercession and by Bible studies and stuff like that. But if it just stays there, that is not the totality of what it means to be a disciple. Actually, it means going on to be a disciple that makes disciples the way that Jesus made disciples. Now think about this for a moment. Jesus could have done all the things that he was famous for. He could have been born of a virgin. He could have healed people, preached the Sermon on the Mount. He could have been crucified. He could have resurrected. He could have done all those incredible things and yet still not started a movement that would make disciples. He very intentionally chose those 12 ragtag guys and said, I am going to show you what it means to be a disciple and how to go on making a disciple. To the point where within 300 years, uh, the good news of Jesus had gone absolutely viral. 
and it is now the greatest world religion, although I don't necessarily like the term of world religion, where people have seen and experienced what it means to have a relationship with Jesus thousands of years on. And so we want to this year really spend our time working out how can we be with, become like, and do the things that Jesus did. Because what can happen is we actually develop a bit of a new balance. Um, if I jump ahead to a, a slide up here, today we're going to be talking about how do we, how do we go up in and out. Now that's a, that's a beautiful triangle right there. You can probably see it, I'm using a lot of shapes today. Um, shapes are helpful for those who are a bit more simple-minded like me. Um, but sometimes our, our triangle can actually get skewed in. There's actually not much out. For some of us, there's maybe not much in or, or up. But actually, God wants us to have this relationship where we are in. Uh, Big part we, we are up, in, and out, and we are actually being and bringing the good news to people. So, how is your life being shaped into the good news? So, when someone meets Ben, or when someone meets Hayden, or when someone meets Car, actually, they're going, oh, there's something about the good news of that person. There's something about the kingdom, there's something about the ways of Jesus, but also we are being very deeply intentional about sharing. It doesn't stay in the house. I love that verse that we read last week where Jesus said, we're going public with this. We are creating open house with this. There is an issue if people do not recognise that there is something different about it. And that's not supposed to be a condemning statement. That's just that we are part of the most amazing and counter-cultural discipleship in the world has ever seen. Um, a great example, and for many of you know, you know I've been quite lazy of late, um, but if you have ever, and I can say this today as well because now I'm not here and I'm here away, but if you have ever met someone who does CrossFit, <laughs> you hear about it, okay? <laughs> like, they, they, they get involved, it becomes their community, and they can't help when the opportunity arises to tell people about the fact that they do CrossFit. <laughs> and I tell you what, I've honestly met some CrossFitters that are more passionate about their products than their church. They so believe in it, they think the community around it is incredible, and they actually want to share it with other people. That is exactly what the good news of Jesus is supposed to be like for us as disciples. Um, Jess shared a pearl of this week. We were just having a, a cup of tea. Um, you know it's a good thing you start to quote the wife in sermons. But she said it like this. She said, it's worse to know the truth and to not share it than to not know it. We have got the truth. We have got this incredible relationship with the creator of the universe, with Jesus, uh, who is God made flesh, his son who showed us how to live. We have got the truth around. It's actually about how do we do it, and I'm going to get to this in just a moment. I was in chair last week in an inconspicuously non-annoying way. A way where we can see that God is at work around us, but we're not going to be annoying about it. We're not going to Bible bash people. And so that's where we kind of come to this up, in, and out paradigm that Jesus modeled to us. And if you think about it, and the way that Jesus spent his time, and the way that this invitation is extended to us, and you can read about this, you know, I love when you, when you kind of begin to see this, you see it all throughout the New Testament, because you see someone like Paul who said, imitate me as I imitate God. That is a, a discipleship paradigm. I am following Jesus, and I want you to learn to follow him. Not that he was perfect, he said he was the chief of all sinners. But actually, he would begin to follow Jesus 
But Jesus had a regular pattern of prayer. We're talking about how his day starts with the Father. And that doesn't have to be first thing in the morning. I think sometimes it can be a good complex. You've got to get up at 4.30 like the old saints of yesteryear. But he had a regular pattern of being with the Father. That was priority number one for him. And he only then went about doing what he heard and saw the Father doing. And Ben's going to preach on that next week. But actually, he, as he spent his time with the Father, he was listening to the prophecies and saying, this is how you can spend your day, though. Secondly, in, in, he was very intentional with people. He chose to prioritise the rest in that 12, that group of 12. Of course, the next time there's many more. He had an intimate group, three of the 12, 72, and of course, the masses that followed him around. And these were not MVPs. These were absolute doves at the end of the Just like you and I from time to time can feel like we're doves at the end of the God chooses to be used in us. And so that's why, as Ben mentioned before, we're so passionate about huddles because that's that space as a church where you are intentionally investing yourself in a group of people. You are both a, a, a recipient as well as one who brings something to that. So I just want to again remind you, if you haven't already joined one, if you don't know who they are, come and talk to me later. But pretty much the reason why huddles are so important is because that's something that you belong to. And while we launched some Bible studies this year, and that's going to be really exciting, we're still wanting to say that huddles are really, really important because they actually give you a place where you are blessing into and receiving. I heard a great, um, maybe I'm simple, but um, a great acrostic kind of poem for this week. I know it's an acrostic poem. That's the other word. Acronym, but I'm still thinking kindergarten, shall we? So, across the top, okay? And the word this person used was haste. But a space like that is for prayer, accountability, confession, and encouragement. Imagine if, like, when you connect with your other, whether it be messages, whether it be, you know, getting together for a coffee or whatever it might be, if you did those things together. That's what the church has always done. And lastly, like I already mentioned, in terms of out, how do we as a church this year begin to think about how can we be inconspicuously spiritual and not annoying and develop a rhythm of being and bringing the good news? This kind of um, you know, model's been around for a long time. A guy called Henry Nowen put it this way, that as, as followers of Jesus, we're invited to communion, community, and commission. Yet what often happens is we try and do the other way around. We do commission, uh, commission first, when all else fails, we run to other people in community. And if everything's really gone bad, we pray. <laughs> but actually, Jesus put that on us. actually said, spend time with the Father first. Do it in community. And then practice it in the world around you to be and bring news, good news. Um, I just want to chuck out a couple of different principles for us this morning. Um, just that I want us to catch. And, and this year, you may find, oh, whoever's preaching I feel like I've heard this before. Well, I've often heard that if, if you really need to learn something, sometimes you need to hear it five different ways. Okay? And so I unashamedly would be coming back to some of this stuff this year to talk about how are you being shaped and what are you actually doing about it. How are you being shaped and what are you going to do about it? How are you being shaped and what are you going to do about it? And that seems to be the thing that Jesus did. He sent his disciples out and brought them back in. Sent his disciples out and brought them back in action and reflection. 
Um, the first thing that I just want us to get is that um, Jesus discipled people towards trusting him, not just after they were now, in Western Christianity, some of us have believed in this conception or the dichotomy between discipleship and evangelism. Jesus never separated those two things. That is something that we have done in our Western church. He was constantly inviting people to come and see, and along the way, he was training them. When the time was right, he said, why don't you give it a go? Um, Dallas Willard puts it this way. He says, the gospel is less about getting people into the more about getting the kingdom of God into people. So he was constantly showing them his ways. Why don't you put that in practice? Why don't you share that with somebody else? And and as we talked about, and I didn't want to bring it up, but we came to that idea of invitation and challenge. Come, I'm inviting you to come and say, all right, what are you going to do about it? Another interesting observation about the life of Jesus is that three quarters of his ministry isn't that a fascinating just like little observation? That Jesus would always be interrupted. Sometimes with my lens of, oh, I've got this great thing I'm going to do. My day is going to look like this. I've got a back-to-back with meetings. But how interrupted is life? And actually, I want to encourage this, even as we're beginning to, to kind of marinate this, to be a person that's interrupted. To be a person that's, and I know sometimes in workplaces and stuff like that, Get away from the external processes. I don't want to talk to you. But in terms of actually people who might want to interrupt us, see God in those opportunities. See God in those moments. Maybe this is an opportunity that I need to see coming. And as I can remember when I first heard that, it really changed the way that I saw interruption. Because before I made this rush through interaction, now I'm like, oh God, maybe you're in this. The second thing that I want to draw our attention is to kind of alluded to it, but Jesus invested in the few for the sake of the many. Now this goes against every church growth strategy in church <laughs> Because usually it's like, let's get as many people together as we possibly can. But Jesus actually kept his circle very small. He wasn't, you know, a public figure on Instagram. He, he did it. You know, and, and that's not because he wanted to create a clique. But he wanted to invest deeply for the sake of him. Um, John Eldridge says that our soul is village soul. I think one of the, the, the potential evils of social media is that we think we can just connect with everyone. We have human limitations. You know, and, and actually discovering our limitations is one of the most emotionally healthy things that we can do. Actually, I can't do everything to everybody. I just can't. I don't have enough time in the day. I have enough emotional energy. I know that I need to give my big rocks to the right people. And so Jesus did that. He modeled that. He said, I'm going to spend an inordinate amount of time with this And I'm going to sow into that. I'm going to see um, you know, the, the, my image form in them and that can go on and change the world. So we invest in the few for the sake of the many. And, and that's, not, that's not to speak small. Like, as you can see, what has happened we are not against, um, uh, you know, uh, against big or proposing small like city. We're going to do whatever we want to do, but we want to invest in people deeply that they may go and change their world around them. The third of the four is this: um, Jesus had an exceptionally high tolerance for failure, but not for misleading. 
If you ever notice that in the Gospels, Jesus also spent a lot of time with people who were very rough around him. They would not be your standard churchgoers. He was not deterred by misbehaviour or parties or people that even had a go and let him down. He, he very much sent his disciples out when they weren't ready. Like if you were to do like a, you know, an evaluation on whether some of those 12 were ready for what he sent them to, they were not ready. He was totally okay with having a crack. He was totally okay with, yeah, go and have a go, stretch yourself. But where he did seem to rebuke people and challenge behaviour is when you knew it and you weren't actually doing anything about it. Repeatedly, he's engaged with the Pharisees who had hard hearts and tried to challenge him. Actually, they were not live out of the spirit of the Lord. He was moved to righteous anger. And as we're going to talk about throughout this year, it seems that the closer you get to Jesus, the more he challenges you to become more and more like him. Not because he's cruel, but actually because he wants you to become more and more like him. And so it's like there's a very low edge. The kingdom is accessible for everyone. But the closer you get to Jesus, the challenge ramps up. That's like where um, Paul elsewhere in the New Testament says that there is a great responsibility around leaders because you, you will be held to account. You will be held to account. So um, just as we think about that this year, that discipleship is simple yet very simple. What are you saying? And this is our fourth one as we begin to wrap up this morning. Discipleship 101 is God, what are you saying? And what am I going to do about it? That is, if you were to sum up discipleship in one sentence, in my opinion, that's the closest thing. God, what are you saying? By your word, by your Holy Spirit, what am I going to personally do about it? Not the church, not the church that hurt me down the road, not my past experiences, but what am I, me, going to do about it? Um, because for many, you know, coming back to that triangle, we have gone, oh, I really prefer the other stuff, or I really prefer the in stuff, not so much the out stuff, God. But actually, God is going, we have a fully formed triangle, but actually, you have a balanced life, and sometimes we've, we've divorced those two things, like, I'm, I'm great at having quiet time. Don't ask me to do anything about it. But actually, as we see in those beautiful words, like, you are making me an offering. That's actually, you know, as coming back to our scripture for today, is actually turn from my ways and take up Jesus' ways. Because I think in the past, many of us have gone, you know, that making disciples stuff, that's either for those weird old men you see on the street in the city, or that's for the super Christian. That's not. But I want to tell you one of our, our favourite verses of the Holy City Church in Acts 4.13 where it says, The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, for they were ordinary men with no special training. And the Greek says they were a grammatos idiotes, <laughs> which you don't need to say Greek to work out. They were unschooled idiots. What a reputation. Oh, that's what those unschooled idiots are going to But then it goes on and it says, but they recognise them as men who have believed. We want to be a church increasingly so that is recognised as people, old, young, male, female, kids, multicultural. 
the major suburbs would be unschooled idiots. They've recognised us as people who have been legit. Their life is being fashioned and shamed, and they are not giving it to themselves. They're in inconspicuously spiritual, non-annoying ways, seeing where God is. To be disciples who are being formed into and practicing the ways of Jesus and about the Father. So that's the, that's the challenge for this year. It's a great invitation. Nothing has changed. We haven't discovered any gospel. I think one of the exciting things about what the church is doing at the moment is actually coming back to the foundation. And actually realizing maybe we've made this a lot more complicated than it used to be. Mike Green says it this way. Um, where you, where you set up a church, you won't always get disciples. But where you make disciples, you get church. And that's what we want to be as a church, a church of disciples. And of course, there's seasons for everything. There's seasons for grief. There's seasons for, for sensitivity. There are seasons for rest. But if you stay in those seasons forever, then you won't go on practicing those And that is part of practicing Please don't hear me separating but we actually take God for us, shape us, and send us. So Father, I just want to thank you. As we start about our kind of series for the better part of this year, looking at how to do that. As we look at some of the disciplines and rhythms of the way that we spend time. As we look at the way that we invested in that ragtag group of individuals. But then as you equip them very practically and without pretense. We want to say, as much as we know, there's all sorts of gifts that you give to your body. Um, this church is not about a group of professional Christians. It's about people giving out a gut. It's about people who want to trust you and obey. And so, God, even right now, as we wrap up our time this morning, we want to just practice that last dynamic of, God, what are you saying? I want to give 30 seconds for each and every one of us to just sit and maybe it doesn't come right now, maybe it happens in the week ahead. But God, what are you saying to us as individuals? Just ask your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, for 
and kindness to us in love to us and that you want also so much more as we grow more and more into your life being with becoming like and doing the things in Jesus name Amen